Today on Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. The best way to preserve truth is to promote truth, to preach it accurately with clarity and conviction. I think Paul is arguing here that a true knowledge of Scripture is the best antidote to error spreading like cancer. And that will come through a faithful expositor who handles the text well. Welcome to Know the Truth. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. In ancient days, salt was a valuable commodity often traded as currency. One of its uses was to preserve and prevent decay. Well, today, Philip DeCourcy reminds us to be the salt of the earth by preserving the Word of God. It's a relevant message from the Without Apology series, our study in 2 Timothy. Later in the broadcast, we'll tell you about a resource that will help you deepen your Christian life. You can learn more right now at ktt.org. But let's join Philip for today's lesson. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy. As we come to this passage, Paul is giving a straight talk about truth and error here in verses 14 through 19 of the second chapter of 2 Timothy. This is written to Timothy in the city of Ephesus where he's pastoring. And when Paul left that church, he warned them, about the theological wolves in sheep's clothing who would enter the church and wreak havoc among the body. So let's come and look at this straight talk and the need to cut the text of Scripture straight. And there's three things I want us to see. You guard the truth by one, staring the saints, two, studying the Scriptures, three, shunning the subversives. So let's look at our text, verse 14. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord, not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. The first thing we can do is Paul gives us this straight talk on the danger of error and the promotion of truth is to stir the saints, to enlist the wider church by reminding them of the truth itself. And secondly, solemnly charging them to shun and avoid ruinous debates with men who oppose the truth. They're to remember the truth, and they're to reject those who oppose it. Let's look at what they are to remember. The bulk of Timothy's ministry is to inform the congregation and remind them of what they already know about the gospel, the person of Christ and the glory of God in the gospel. Remind them continually of these things. The importance of leadership development, the need for to compete and contend fully for the Lord in life, like an athlete competes and like a soldier fights and like a farmer works. And also, he's to remind them of their commitment to the doctrine of Jesus' physical resurrection. In verse 8, you have this pivotal statement, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead. And we saw the last time we were together how important the doctrine of the physical resurrection of Jesus is according to 1 Corinthians 15. If Jesus isn't risen, our faith is futile. We're still in our sin. Our suffering has no hope attached to it. And we will not 
be raised in a future day. In fact, we are to be pitied because we are following a fantasy. So here we have this call by Paul to Timothy to spend time reinforcing what they already know and re-educating them on what they already been taught. See, this is the calling of the pastor. He's not called to be novel with the text. He's not called to be creative with the truth. He's not to be marked by originality. He's been marked by familiarity and faithfulness to the gospel. In fact, on the flight back from New Zealand, I've been reading the all-round ministry by Spurgeon. These were messages Spurgeon gave to the students of the college he had established in London for preachers. Listen to these words. Many run after novelties, charmed with every new thing, learn to judge between truth and its counterfeits, and you will not be led astray. Others adhere to old teachings like limpets stick to the rock, and yet these may only be ancient errors. Wherefore, prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. The use of the sieve and the winnowing fan is much to be commended. Even in his day, there were brothers running after novelties, charmed by every new thing. That ought not to be true of the faithful pastor. In fact, the faithful pastor is, according to chapter 1 and verse 14, a trustee of the gospel. If you're a trustee, it's not your job to monkey around with whatever you've been given to take care of. It's your job to fulfill the writings or the laws or the creed that governs that trust, and to be faithful to it. So they are to remember. Secondly, they are to reject. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time in this because we'll come back to it in verse 16. But as Paul encourages Timothy to stir the saints, remind them, and encourage them to avoid discussions with those who oppose the truth, Paul not only calls them to remember, he calls them to reject. So since truth is a settled matter, there is a faith, a body of truth once delivered to the saints, which must be faithfully delivered to each succeeding generation. Debate with those who profanely oppose it is unwise, counterproductive, and dangerous. If you go back to 1 Timothy 4, verses 6 to 7, similar language is used of false teachers. If you instruct their brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed, but reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself to godliness. You go to chapter 6, verses three to four, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, obsessed with disputes, an argument over words from which come envy, strife, reveling, and evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. This is false teachers. And what are we to do, according to Paul, when it comes to false teachers who openly profane the gospel and oppose the glory of our glorious Lord Jesus? We are to avoid them, because any engagement with them is unwise. You're casting pearls before swine. 
Matthew 7, 6. It's counterproductive. It comes to the ruin of the hearers. The ruin of the hearers. Now, if my memory serves me right, John MacArthur points out in his study Bible that this word ruin is to be found in 2 Peter 2, verse 6. It's the only other place you'll find it in the New Testament. And interestingly enough, it is used to describe God's judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a strong word. It's dangerous. You're inviting judgment. You're putting yourself in the way of peril. Now, I don't think this text is saying not to engage unsaved people or those who hold to a different ideology and philosophy in life. If there's an openness, if there's a context where maybe profitable conversation can take place. But when someone is entrenched, when someone has a track record of profaning the gospel, Paul says, don't engage them because it's unwise, it's counterproductive, and it's actually dangerous. So I think he's saying this, avoid wasteful and rancorous theological debate. I would take another thought, avoid an academic approach to theology that engages people like this. For a time, I was under a theological training system that I felt spent far too much time engaging German theologians and what they thought about the text of Scripture. I remember one class in which uh, the lecturers spent the whole class talking about the thesis that there may have been two authors to the prophecy of Isaiah. And I was a simple enough believer. I opened my Schofield Bible, which I had at the time, and Schofield had a note where he showed that Jesus quoted from the beginning of the prophecy of Isaiah in one part of the gospel, and from later on in the prophecy of Isaiah in another part of the gospel, making the case that the Lord Jesus, who was the Word incarnate and truth embodied, believed that it was one prophecy with one unitary author. And I'm sitting there going, why are we engaging this idle babbling? of some German theologian who hates the Bible anyway. Avoid wasteful, rancorous theological debate. Avoid an academic approach to theological training. Avoid engagement with those who disdain Scripture. Okay, let's move on. Not only was Timothy called to stir the saints in verse 14, he was called to study the Scriptures, verse 15. Holding the text in mind, we see that Timothy was told to tell the Ephesians to avoid theological word battles with false teachers, and then Timothy was encouraged to focus on handling the text of Scripture truthfully so that his teaching and his preaching, I would guess, would be profitable to this congregation. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Here's what I take from that. The best way to preserve truth is to promote truth, to preach it accurately with clarity and conviction. I think Paul is arguing here in verse 15, in the light of verse 14, that a true knowledge of Scripture is the best antidote to error spreading like cancer. Because that's what he says about error, doesn't he? In verse 17, it spreads like a cancer. Well, the best antidote to that cancer is a good infusion, an injection of biblical theology and scriptural truth. And that will come through a faithful expositor who handles the text well. That's kind of where we're at here. Paul wants Timothy 
to be a workman in the Word. A worker, verse 15, who does not need to be ashamed. This is another image of the Christian leader. If you've been counting, he has talked about the Christian leader as a teacher, a soldier, an athlete, a farmer, and now a workman. And before we're done in 2 Timothy 2, he'll introduce vessel and slave. Seven pictures of the pastor. It's like Paul is adding one brush stroke upon another brush stroke, adding dimension and definition to the effective servant of God. I love it, and I'm challenged by it. So let's look at this verse 15. Staring the saints, yes. Studying the Scriptures, yes. And studying the Scriptures involves three things. Number one, a certain effort. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. The word diligent means to do your best, to be zealous and honor God in the pursuit of truth. Here's what Paul says to Timothy. Be a Bible busy bee. Be a word worker. Give yourself unstintingly to the hard work of biblical exegesis and exposition. Now, I know you think I got it easy. I know you think I only work one day a week. And you guys are the workers, and I'm the loafer. Well, according to this text, I'm a worker in the Word. And believe me, it can be hard work, and it ought to be hard work. Look at 1 Timothy 5, verse 17. Look what Paul says in his first letter. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the Word and doctrine. That's just a given. I realize that may not be true from preacher to preacher, and I'm sure there's room for improvement on my part, but I desire to be a hard worker in the text of God's Word. I don't have an option. Eternal souls hang in the balance. The glory of Jesus Christ revealed in the gospel hangs in the balance. Fending off the devil and a corrupt culture with all its error and human speculation is hard work. And Paul calls young Timothy to it. Why is it hard work? Well, there are six things. I'm just going to list them. The burden of God's glory and judgment. If this is His Word, and He's called me to preach it accurately, I better not mess up. Because according to James 3 verse 1, those who teach will face double judgment. All right? You're safer working on a factory floor than being in a pulpit because of the burden of God's glory and judgment, because study is labor-intensive. There are words to be understood. There is cultural background to be researched. There is the labor of one's mind and heart wrestling with the text of Scripture, seeking to understand it and apply it. That's intense work. That's labor, according to Paul. And then number three, bridging two worlds is exacting. Trying to understand the biblical world and then build a bridge into this world and apply the text of Scripture properly from the text of Scripture. Clarity and cogency in presentation is not easy. I can do hours of research. I can study my lexicons. I can read theologies. I can interact with commentaries. I can spend hours and hours meditating and reflecting. And then I've got to take all those ingredients and make a tasty meal of it and present it nicely. 
so that seems appetizing to the congregation. It's hard work. Error abounds, and results are not always apparent. Guys, it's hard work being a preacher. But you know, that's what we're called to. There's a certain effort here. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker that does not need to be ashamed. I remember hearing Eric Alexander, who ministered for many years in Glasgow and Scotland, sharing that he was in a meeting with the great Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones of Westminster Chapel. And after the doctor, as he was affectionately known, had delivered his sermon and his soul, he sat down exhausted. And he turned to Eric Alexander and he said this, preaching is the closest a man will ever come to experiencing childbirth. And you know, he's not wrong. Because you not only deliver a sermon, you deliver your soul. That conviction that God has birthed in you from hours of study, you want to deliver that cogently and clearly. Remember what Paul said to the Galatians, I travail in soul until Christ is formed in you? That word travail is childbirth. By the way, and I'm certainly deeply thankful to the elders of this church who protect my time and the office staff who make time for me. That's never been an issue at Kindred Community Church, and that's one of the things I love about it. But I would say to maybe an elder listening to this from another church or a Christian leader listening to this on the radio, make sure that you free your pastor so that he can be diligent to study the Word and be approved of God and be a worker in the text. Acts 6.4, the apostles gave themselves to the Word and prayer. That's exhausting work, and pastors shouldn't exhaust themselves in other stuff. Not that they shouldn't do other stuff. Every pastor should counsel. Every pastor should visit the hospital. Every pastor should be available where he can, but not to an exacting, exhausting manner where he's drawn away from his primary calling. I remember a friend of mine telling me this story that the church was growing, uh, he was preaching three times on a Sunday morning and once on a Sunday night, four sermons. Two sermons, one preached three times, one preached once. His sister got a, a concerned that the church was going to exhaust him and kill him. In fact, she shared that with Dr. MacArthur one day. And Dr. MacArthur insightfully said, that's not going to kill him. It's all the other stuff. That's not going to kill him. It's all the other stuff that will draw them away from that or be piled on top of that exerting, exhausting work. A certain effort, a certain estimation. This diligence, this excellence is tied to a present and future approval of God. What's the aim of this diligence? Why exert yourself in exegesis and exposition? Because someday you're going to stand before God. That's what Paul says in 2 Timothy 4 verse 1. And that's no mean thing. So don't trifle with the text. You need to work hard, come up with something that's truthful and biblical and appetizing, historically true, theologically correct, because you're going to stand before God and don't you want as well done? Don't you want to be approved of God? In fact, this word worker is a word that means one who works for hire. 
Now, one who works for hire, he isn't his own boss, which by implication would mean he not only works under the direction of another, but that other person can inspect his work and demand a certain standard from that work. And that's the picture here. You know, before I went into the ministry, I was an aircraft engineer, did a four-year apprenticeship, and then worked in an aerospace company for several years, and I, I loved it. And after we had completed a job, the inspectors would come. They would inspect the job. Rightly so. You don't want that thing feeling, you know, 10,000 feet up in the air when people's lives are dependent upon it. And if it wasn't done exactly the code or the blueprints or whatever, we got a snag sheet. And we had to work through the snag sheet, fix all of those things, and then get the approval from the inspectors. And that's kind of the idea that's going on here. There's this fundamental sense that the preacher speaks to an audience of one. Fundamentally, there's an audience of one before I get to you. Because I've got to know that today I've preached a message that God will approve of. That's a scary thought. We read in Second Corinthians 5, Verses 9 and 10 about the judgment seat of Christ. We read these words from Paul. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And that's true of the preacher more than anybody, because James 3, 1, we've mentioned it. He will be doubly judged. So the gospel workman, the good workman, is God-centered. He ministers out of a glorious vision of God. Pastor Philip will be back in just a moment, so stay with us. You're listening to Know the Truth in the second of a three-part lesson titled Straight Talk from the Without Apology series. Remember, you can revisit all your favorite messages at ktt.org or on the KTT podcast. Just search your favorite podcast platform like Spotify, for instance, for Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. Well, today we learn that the best way to preserve truth is to promote truth and preach it with accuracy, clarity, and conviction. And well, that's why Know the Truth exists, to share the gospel with a world in need of truth. In a world full of false teachers and strange doctrine, it's critical. And it's the faithful partnership of our truth ambassadors that allows us to carry out this vital task. Your monthly financial support enables us to share the gospel with listeners all over the world through the radio and the internet. Philip, this is an essential part of this ministry. That's true, Wayne. Our truth ambassadors ensure that countless men and women across this nation and other nations are reached by the power of the gospel through the preached word. Truth ambassadors' monthly gifts allow hundreds of thousands of potential listeners to access clear biblical teaching for free via radio, and on our KTT website, podcast, and app. KTT, through its broadcasts and its written material, is exalting the name of Jesus, transforming lives, establishing hope, strengthening relationships, restoring marriages, encouraging pastors, and strengthening churches, and bringing people into a relationship with God and the enjoyment of everlasting life. So thankful for our Truth Ambassadors. And I want to invite you, if you're not one, to become one today. Become a Truth Ambassador. Join me and our team in this worthy mission to declare the truth. We have some resources we'll send you as a new Truth Ambassador to express our thanks, and they will help strengthen your walk. 
Wien. Will you tell them more? All right. Thanks, Philip. I sure will. When you sign up to give a monthly automated gift to Know the Truth, we'll send you our thanks with a book that will help you deepen your Christian life. It's called Living by God's Promises by Joel R. Beakey and James A. LaBelle. This book will energize and deepen your life as you appropriate the precious promises found in God's Word. As a new Truth Ambassador, you'll also receive a welcome package with books and other resources from Pastor Philip, along with a newly designed Know the Truth shirt to be reminded of your role on the Know the Truth team. Again, call us at 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. You can also send your donation by mail. Write to Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Join us again tomorrow as Philip DeCourcy concludes his message titled Straight Talk. That's Thursday here on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free.